And let's hear God's word. Romans 13, verses 8 to 14. Let no debts remain outstanding, except the continuing debts to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently and in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Brilliant. Mary, thanks so much. Um, We're going to come back to you later and have a bit more of a chat with you. Um, But thanks for reading and we'll see you later. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, that your powerful Holy Spirit is the one who will now help us. Lord, we ask that you'd remove all distractions from us. We ask that we would be able to concentrate and give ourselves to understand what your word is saying to us. Lord, please speak to us, we pray. Please teach us to love you and to love others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Beatles um, famously sang, All You Need Is Love. And in that song, they very clearly articulate this idea that love is all you need. In fact, at the end of the song, it, it just repeats it about 20 times as it fades off. Love is all you need. Love is all you need. And it's a fairly um, uncontroversial sentiment, isn't it? That loving people is a good thing. And so you get to Romans 13 verse 8 and you read, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. You say, great, here's where the Bible and the Beatles line up in their understanding of the world and we can all sort of smile and say that that's terrific. This isn't controversial stuff. In fact, this is precisely the sort of teaching that people love about the Bible. This is the nice stuff that people like. Yeah, the world would be a better place if we all just loved each other. But the problem is that the Beatles um, didn't go a lot further in helping us to understand what love is. So you get, you get the idea that love is all you need, but they don't help us know what that really looks like. But the Bible does go further. The Bible talks in very concrete and real concepts of what love is really about. And in these verses this afternoon, we're going to be pushed. We're going to be pushed to think hard about what it really means to love one another. And we might even find that it is slightly more controversial than we at first thought. So Paul in these chapters is setting out this beautiful vision of what it means to live a life in view of God's mercy. God has loved us. He's forgiven us. He's adopted us. There's no condemnation. All this amazing mercy that we've seen. And now in view of that mercy, we're to live lives of worship 
offering our bodies as living sacrifices. And, and what does that mean in practice? Well, we've seen what it means in these chapters. And in particular, I want us to think today that this new life we're called to live is a life that is dominated by love. Love is the key note that is struck through this new life. We've already seen that several times in our journey through these chapters. The church is called a, a body where we love one another, where we're members of that body and we belong to one another and we serve one another. It's a beautiful picture of love within the church. And it's a love that is sincere, solid, real, not, not hypocritical and surface level. And a love that extends to those in need, to the, to the hungry, to the, those who are poor. And a love that extends even beyond that to those who oppose us, to our enemies. Uh, this is a radical love. And a love that even extends into the way we treat authorities. Not resenting and fearing authority, but acting in love. And now from here, the whole thing explodes out into a love of anyone and everyone. Do you see how this thread of love has been sort of bubbling and building? The church, those in need, enemies, authorities, everyone. Love. But Paul wants us to think carefully about this love. What is it? Not in some, oh yeah, yeah, we shall love one another, man. But we need solid foundations. We need a, a firm place that we can anchor this idea of what love is. And so Paul gives us three ways to think about love. And I'm going I'm to go out on a limb and say that I don't think you'll ever have considered love in these ways before. Because Paul is pushing us to think differently. Here are the three ways. Firstly, we're going to think about love as a debt that we owe. Then we're going to think of love as the fulfillment of the law. And then thirdly, we're going to think of love as a new set of clothes. A debt, a law, and a new set of clothes. Let's start with this idea of debt. This is exactly what it says in verse 8. It talks about love as a debt. And it's bouncing straight out of verse 7 and what Paul has just been talking about, where he's been saying that we're to, we're to pay people what we owe them. If we owe them taxes, we pay tax. If we owe them revenue, we owe, pay them revenue. If respect, respect. If honour, if honour. We are to be people who pay our debts. But then Paul talks about this love of, this debt of love that we owe that will never fully be paid. And here we, is where we begin to get pushed in our thinking of love. So we tend to think of love, firstly, I guess, as a feeling. That's our, our most common understanding of love. You know, I love you. It sort of here's something that's lovely and it evokes within us a feeling of love. And so we move towards it in love. And that's, that's love, but I think many of us kind of can see that that's a superficial kind of understanding of love. And, and that there is a deeper sense of love where we choose to love. That is where we, it's an act of the will. I choose to love even when I don't feel it. And so we say, yeah, love is more than a feeling, it's a, it's a choice that we make. And certainly that's how God has loved us, right? God chose to love us. 
God is not overcome with emotion at our wonderful loveliness. Instead, he made the choice to love us. In fact, Romans 5 says, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That was when God chose to love us. And so we're beginning to understand love is more than just a feeling. It's a a choice. That's how God loves us. But in Romans 13, Paul pushes even one stage further. And says that love for the Christian is not just a a free choice of the will. It's a debt that we owe. Not just out of the goodness of my heart I will love, but I owe a debt. Come on, that's odd, isn't it? I mean, most of us are familiar with the idea of debt. And it often isn't something that's got a great deal to do with love. So we need to think carefully, what does Paul mean? Aren't we in danger of just reducing love to some kind of miserable and dutiful transaction that I have to try and endlessly pay off? There's always more to do. I've got to do more. I've got to love more. And anyway, I thought the gospel was free. I thought that God's love came with no strings attached. But now we find actually there are conditions and obligations loaded on us. Oh yes, I love you. Ah, but now you're in debt. You see, we really need to get this clear. What does Paul mean? Okay, there are two types of debt. One is a miserable debt. The other is a joyful debt. Let's start with the miserable one. This is what we might call standard debt. This is how debt normally works. When we take out a loan or a mortgage or uh, I borrow a book from you or make a promise, all of those things place me in your debt. I owe you something back. I've received something from you and I need to give it back to you. And that, it's, it's a weight. It's, it's a burden that kind of presses down on me. And every time I see you, I feel guilty. That, that debt kind of comes to my mind. It's like it's written on your forehead. You borrowed my book. Where is it? It kind of eats away at us. And eventually when we pay off that debt, there's a great sense of relief. At last, the burden is paid. It's done. So we have these little IOU notes kind of stuck all over our life of the things that we owe people. We rack up debts and then we try and pay them off. And Paul is very clear, let's just say this, that we are to be people who pay our debts. When he says in verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding, he really means it. I don't think he means that we shouldn't ever have a loan or a mortgage. Some Christians understand it that way. But I think Paul more means, no, you need to pay it back. You need to pay what you owe. Make your payments on time. Be someone who pays it off. But love is a different sort of debt. And you can see that because it's a debt that never gets paid off. And that should alert us to the fact that we're talking about something very different to that standard kind of debt. So there is a second way to be in debt. Supposing I give you um, £1,000 to go and give Trevor. I don't know why. I'm just overcome with a love and um, generosity to him. So I give you £1,000. I say, can you give that to Trevor? You are now in debt to Trevor for £1,000. But it's not a debt that you've racked up. In fact, there might even be something quite joyful about going and 
delivering the good news to Trevor. Here's a thousand pounds. Oh, let me make this slightly more grand. Let's, let's go for a slightly more grand story. I, imagine uh, a wealthy couple who go to a slum and they're confronted with the sheer poverty uh, all around them. And on the streets of the slum, they find a child living among the rubbish, an orphan with no family at all. And they rescue this child from the slum and they lavish their love on this child. They adopt him as their son. They take him from the slum and he begins to live in their beautiful, comfortable home. And then on the child's 18th birthday, they give the child the whole of their estate and they say, it's all yours. This is what they say, we love you and we want to give you this money so that you can go back to the slum that you came from and transform many, many more lives. Show them the sort of love that you've experienced from us. Do you see now that the child is in debt to the people of the slum to go back? He's not in debt to his adopted parents. They gave it freely to him. But he is in debt to those that he's been asked to love. It's not a debt that he has racked up. Instead, it's a debt that overflows from his experience of love. And you could say, oh, what a horrible burden to have to live with. But that would be the wrong way to see it. What a joyful privilege for him now to be able to go back and help others out of what he's experienced. That's what Paul means when he talks about a debt. Let me get this clear. Please listen to this. This is not a debt that racks up against us that we need to pay back. This is a debt that wells up within us that needs to be unleashed. Not a debt that racks up that needs to be paid off, but a debt that wells up and needs to be unleashed. So we are not in debt to God. This is not a debt that we owe him. His grace is a free gift. We receive it freely from him. Rather, his extraordinary love so fills us and captivates us that we become indebted to those around us. To refuse to love others would be a denial of all that we've received from God. This is how Jesus taught his disciples. Even on the night before he died, as he washed their feet, he said, as I have loved you, so you must love others. He doesn't say, as I have loved you, now you're in my debt, you need to pay me back. He says, no, as you've experienced my free gift of love, now let that overflow to others. Unleash it. It's very similar language to what Paul uses at the start of Romans. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 1, where he uses this language of debt. He says, I am a debtor, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul says, I have received the gospel. This is the greatest thing in the whole universe. This amazing news of Jesus who died on a cross to set us free from our sin, of adoption as God's children, has no condemnation. This extraordinary gospel, Paul says, I've received this gospel and I'm so eager to pass it on. I'm in debt now to pass it on to others. 
That's how Paul saw his life. And so when we think about loving others, we should see it in this overflowing debt that we've received as God has loved us. We need to see that we owe other people love and it's the greatest privilege in the world to love them. So you go into the workplace and you say, I have an enormous privilege to owe a debt of love to these people that I'm working with today. You go into the supermarket and you see the cashier and you say, I owe you a debt of love. All around us, there are people who we owe love to and it's our privilege to serve them. So perhaps we need to understand love as a debt that we owe. Here's a second way and that Paul talks about love though. And that is love as the fulfillment of the law. This is what he says at the end of verse 8. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. He says it again in verse 10. Therefore love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. You see twice. Fulfills the law. Now, again, if love and debt don't normally go together in the same sentence, then neither do law and love. Why does Paul suddenly start talking about law? He's referring to the law of God. That's clear from the commands that he quotes. The kind of, in verse 9, the, the Ten Commandments. But why when he's talking about love would he start talking about the Ten Commandments? Especially when you go back through Romans and see some of the other things that Paul has told us about the law. I mean, check this out. Back in chapter 3... Paul said that no one could be declared righteous through the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. You want to know what the law is for? It makes us aware of our sin. It shows us how far short we fall. Then he says that the law condemns us. He says that the law is powerless to save us. And he says that the great news of the gospel is that you're no longer under law, but now under grace. So you piece all those bits together... And you could be forgiven for thinking that Paul is pretty down on the law. At which point we might say, but isn't this great? We're no longer under law. We could forget about law now. It's all about grace and about love. We just have to love one another. None of those commands anymore. Now we just love each other. But that is categorically not what Paul says. Yes, the law is powerless to save us. The law is unable to make us righteous. But the problem is not the law. The problem's never been the law. The problem's with us. Back in chapter 3, Paul is keen to make the point that the gospel upholds the law, not undermines it. In chapter 7, he describes the law as holy, righteous, and good. We have to understand the law of God is a good and beautiful thing. It expresses the good and beautiful character of God. But it couldn't save us. All it could do was condemn us as guilty. And that's why God sent Jesus, his son, to set us free from the condemnation of the law. Jesus' death pays what the law demands so the law has been fully satisfied the punishment that we deserve was placed upon him so there's no condemnation for us and the law holds no terror now for those who are in Jesus we're no longer 
under the condemnation of the law. But that doesn't mean that the law is just abolished and forgotten. Rather, the law takes a new place in our lives. It becomes our delight. And if you want to summarize the law, Paul says you summarize it with the word love. The law of God was always about love. Now when Paul says this, he's quoting directly from Jesus. This is where we started the service. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, love. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul takes that theme from the lips of Jesus and says, you want to fulfill the law? Then love. The guiding principle of the whole law is love. It's always where the law was pointing. Now the reason this matters, the reason I'm banging on about this, is because if we don't understand the law, if we don't listen to God's commands, we will end up with a bland and anemic view of love. Just love everyone. You know, as long as you don't hurt anyone, as long as you don't do anything bad, then it's fine. Do what feels loving. That's how culture thinks about love and what it means to love others. Be tolerant. Don't talk about people being right or wrong. Just accept everyone. But that is to misunderstand what the law teaches us about love. You see, the, the, the issue is the law shows us how to love. What does love look like in practice? Well, it looks like the law. The commands of God show us what it means to love. So take the first one that he quotes in verse 9. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery. What is driving that command? Is it God wanting to spoil our fun? Is it miserable old God in heaven just wanting to stuff everything up? No, it's love. True love does not commit adultery. Now, if you don't have the command, if you say, well, we don't need commands anymore, we can just love, 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 then what will happen is we'll say, well, I, I don't really love my um, wife anymore. We've sort of uh, drifted apart, and it wouldn't be loving to stay with her. She deserves someone better than me. She deserves someone who will love her better than I do. And actually, I've fallen in, in, in love with this person over here. So I'm going to um, leave my wife uh, and pursue true love over here. This is the loving thing to do. And God wouldn't want me to be miserable, and he wouldn't want my wife to be miserable. So we're going to break our marriage in order to pursue love over here. And at that point you say, well, how do you know whether that's love or not? Well, you know it because the command of God says don't commit adultery. And so love is not to break apart a marriage. But we'd never know that if we didn't have the commands of God. And so the commands of God, they tell us what love in practice looks like. Otherwise we'll just be left guessing and, and making it up ourselves. So when the Bible says do not steal, that is because out of love we don't steal. We don't take what doesn't belong to us. When the Bible says don't covet, that is because we, want, we are to love people. How can I love someone who I'm coveting what they've got? And so love is filled out by this law of God. It shows us how to love. It's not 
loving to ignore what is wrong in order to be nice. It's not loving to go, oh, oh okay, that's nice. Do, do whatever you want. That's not loving. In fact, back in chapter 12, Paul wrote that love hates what is evil and clings to what is good. There is a time when love will say, you are wrong. Your behavior is wrong. God says that is wrong. Now that's controversial because no one's going to find that loving. Imagine if someone was holding a suitcase and you knew in the suitcase there was a bomb that was going to explode in 10 minutes. And you said, excuse me, um, that suitcase is a bomb and you need to run. And other people said, well, that's not very loving. He likes the suitcase. He's enjoying holding the suitcase. Leave him alone. Stop being so bigoted. Stop being so full of yourself. Who gives you the right to say what's right and wrong? And in that moment, they may look more loving than you, but in 10 minutes' time, true love is really seen. Come on, we've got to wake up to this. We've got to have more backbone in our understanding of love. Love is serious about right and wrong. It's not loving to pretend that sex outside of marriage is okay. And just to shrug our shoulders and go, oh, as long as you love each other. No, the Bible is clear on these things. It's not loving to act as though all religions are the same. It's not loving to act as though it doesn't really matter whether you follow Jesus or not. It does. Heaven and hell are at stake. True love speaks truth. And the commands of God help us to understand it. Love has substance. Love has content. So let's not despise the law of God. Let's not despise his commands. When we read the Bible, we're being taught how to love. Every command that we read in the Bible is, we should be asking ourselves, how does this help me to love those around me? But let's just be careful with this law thing, because although some people love to get rid of the law, there are others who just want more law. Fine, I'll love as long as I don't murder them. No, you can't reduce love to simple commands. The commands point you in the direction and our job is to run in the direction of those commands and fulfill them, maximize them. You look at the life of Jesus. That's what he did all the time. He took all of the commands of God and he lived them fully. He didn't go, well, what's the minimum I've got to do with to say that I've kept that command? Instead, he ran it to the full. That's love. And so when we understand that love fulfills the law, it means that the law matters. It sets the, the truth that we need. And then we run in that direction as far as we can. So when the Bible says don't commit adultery, we run in the direction of love. And we say, I'm going to commit everything to my marriage. I'm going to do everything I can to be faithful to my husband or wife. If you're not married yet, it means being absolutely faithful to the, perhaps one day the person that you will marry. It means saying, I, I'm going to do everything I can to live out this command. But we need to carry on. We're running out of time. So it's a debt that we owe. It's a law to be fulfilled. And thirdly, there's love as clothes to be put on. We need to do this fairly quickly. But Paul says all of this loving, verse 11, is to, we're to do this understanding the present time. We've got to know what time it is. 
Love is so essential because the time in which we're living. There's a story told, which I'm sure isn't true, but someone made it up at some point, and there's a good story. There was a grandfather clock, and the little boy was standing in front of the grandfather clock, and the mechanism in the clock broke, and the clock struck 15 times. And the little boy's eyes were wide open with wonder. And he went rushing into the next room and he shouted at the top of his voice, Mummy, Mummy, it's later than it's ever been. I think that's a great summary of what Paul is saying. It's later than it's ever been. We're living in a time now. Look what he says um, at the end of verse 11. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Do we see what time it is? Do we see what point of world history we're living in? The day when Jesus comes to put all things right. The day when decay is replaced by freedom. The day when death is replaced by life. The day when sorrow is replaced by joy is nearer now than it's ever been. It's nearly here. To put it another way, the night The world of sin and death is nearly over. The day is almost here. Do we see the time that we're living in? We're living in between night and day. We're in the middle bit. It's what the Bible calls the last days. And therefore we should get dressed. He says, verse 11, wake up from your slumber. We need to wake up. We need to get dressed. We need to put on our clothes. This is very different to how often we think about time. Often we just imagine days and weeks and years sort of drift by. Things bubble along. There's no real end point. You know, time just passes us by. But it isn't like that. There's a goal. Time is thundering relentlessly towards the moment when Jesus returns and when night becomes day. And it's nearly here. And so there is behavior that is appropriate to the night time. And there's behavior that's appropriate to the day. And Paul says, as people who belong to the day, get rid of that and put on this. The deeds of darkness are profoundly unloving patterns of behavior. They're about self-gratification, doing what suits me, indulging my desires without a thought for others. In the night, our appetites rule us. We do whatever we want. We take whatever we fancy. Let me just read them to you again. Let us behave decently. This is verse 13. Um, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness. Are we drinking more alcohol than we were before the lockdown? Are we turning to alcohol as a place of comfort, something to indulge in and something to soothe our frustration and sadness? Are you drinking more than normal? Be careful. We're to put off the deeds of darkness and we're to look to the day. Sexual immorality and debauchery. That is turning to sexual patterns of behavior that are about indulging myself rather than giving myself in sacrificial love. 
Sex was always intended for the joining of one man and one woman to give themselves to one another in sacrificial love. But we have taken that gift and distorted it and spun it around so it becomes all about us. This is why pornography and sexual fantasy and when we indulge in stuff that becomes all about us being gratified, that's darkness. We've been set free. We live in the day. Put on love. Think about how to love others. What about um, when he talks about dissension and jealousy where we cause trouble? Where all of, you know, I look at others and I'm bitter and I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I hate them in my heart because of what they've got. All of this stuff belongs to the night. And the antidote is not to try and get control, it's to put on new clothes. It's to put on armour, in fact. Put on the armour of light. There's a battle that rages. And if we go into this battle defenceless, we'll lose. So we put on the armour. What is the armour that we're supposed to put on? It's the armour of light. That is the armour of love. That is, verse 14, Jesus Christ himself. Verse 14, rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a new clothing to wear and it's Jesus Jesus who lived his whole life for the day who lived his whole life as as a life of love and sacrifice and he says now come on put me on so this is not a call to pull up our socks and try harder this is a call to come to Jesus in humble dependence and say Jesus I want to wear you this week I want to be like you. I want to live a life where I lay down my life, where I say no to my selfish desires and I give myself to others. We've got new clothes to wear. And how do we put those clothes on? We put them on every day by faith. We put them on every day by saying, here are the things that I am tempted to pursue. Jesus, I want to say no to those and I want to live this way. I want to live a life of love. We've got to make this a practical decision every morning, every day to live this life. Put on the armour, get ready for battle because the day is nearly here. So there's three ways to think about love. It's a debt that we owe. It's a law that we fulfil. And it's new clothes that we wear. I wonder which one of those three will particularly help you this week to live this life of love, to walk around this week with a a new understanding of this life that you've been called to, where God has lavished his love on you. He's given you clothes to wear. And now he says, go live it. Go pay off your debt that you can't pay off. Go fulfill this law that drives you to this beautiful life and go wear these new clothes, which are so stunningly attractive. And then the day will come and we'll see Christ face to face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this simple but deep idea of love. Help us not to settle for a superficial understanding of love. We pray that we'd pursue this sort of love and live it out this week because of all that you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen.